welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim. Um, and as you've probably seen from the title, this podcast, we're going to be discussing um, sex, intimacy, relationships, and kind of everything around that as well. Um, so joining me on the podcast are Dr. Wafa Al-Tantawi, I hope I pronounced that correct, and Habiba Kande. Um, so just to run through their bios very briefly. Uh, Dr. Wafa is a gynecologist, counsellor and therapist. She's an expert in sex therapy and relationship therapy whilst also being a GMT licensed medical doctor with extensive clinical experience in sexual medicine. And Habib Akande is an alumnus of Al-Azhar University in Cairo. He's a British-born writer, sex educator and historian of Nigerian descent. He's also the author of A Taste of Honey, which looks at sexuality and erotology in Islam among several other books around the subject matter. Um, both of our guests are, I think, supremely um, qualified to talk about this. Um, so Habib's book, A Taste of Honey, he, he, he sent out to me a few uh, weeks before the podcast. Um, and we talk about it, obviously, on the podcast briefly, but it's a very dense um, m- manuscript, manual, whatever. And it just covers kind of everything um to do with um sex relationships intimacy and and to be honest it's something i haven't seen before and and the thing that really stood out to me is that as you kind of flick through the pages like i'm doing right now the 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 bottom uh you know at the bottom of the page obviously it's referenced um all the different sources and and there's so many different islamic sources um and ahadith and and texts that we just have almost forgotten i don't know i mean obviously we, we go into the whole conversation about it and and the conversation that we have i think is quite a um top line uh surface level conversation and it's just kind of i think dipping our toes into this kind of world of talking about issues around how the muslim community um perceives sex and talk about it and and getting into things like sex education in terms of you know what education do people need before marriage um and everything else and then also we we talk briefly about spirituality at the end and and how you know there is this disconnect i think between you know the way that we perceive um sex and 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 you know whether there is a link with with kind of spirituality um so yeah this is uh it's a very very good conversation if i'm honest i really really enjoyed it and i think it's not the end of this uh, line of conversation because there's so much more and, and the more that I've been kind of reading and researching beforehand there's so much more that we need to discuss on this topic um, but yeah if if this is the first time you've listened to the Muslim Vibe podcast and I assume for some people it might be just given the nature of the topic um, the, the podcast is generally quite great if I may say so myself um, and that's not much to do with me but a lot more to do with the, the amazing guests that we have on and, and the wide range of conversations and topics that we we cover so uh do be sure to subscribe if you if you haven't already um and i think you can like turn on notifications so you actually know when there's new episodes but generally every sunday morning in the uk um uk time we we publish new episodes um and yeah also i guess you know if you are a regular listener or even a first-time listener um you know do check out the website and everything else and do consider supporting the work that we do the muslim vibe is just turned six years old in october actually um and uh we we rely quite heavily in part on on kind um support from our listeners readers you know video viewers everything else 
so the link is as always in the description um please do consider supporting us and helping us create more fantastic content for you guys um and as always do feedback with any thoughts um positive or negative about the podcast this one in particular or just generally um it helps you know shape the content moving forward and i guess that's enough of me rambling um without further ado here's my conversation with dr wafa and habib so salam guys thank you very much for 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 joining me on the podcast i want to start out by um i guess mentioning that when we spoke about this we had a phone call a couple of weeks ago Mm. and i said that i would you know probably do like a disclaimer at the beginning to say that you know today we're having a conversation that's like a very uh, mature topic and you know just to kind of put it out there and when i did that both of you kind of shouted you, you pretty much told me off <laughs> i would just say I'm putting, yeah, just, I, I wouldn't say shout but I, felt, I, felt, I felt like i was <laughs> i'm really sorry if you felt this way but what i felt like you are trying to cover up or trying to introduce a topic which is very crucial for muslim societies and Muslim people yeah. in a way like covered. And this is what we are doing in sex. We are covering everything up so people don't know anything about it. So mm. I felt like this is the time we need to open up and we need to be able to speak about it frankly and say say it by its name. And I think, I, I don't know which, I, I'm going to pin it on you, but someone said that I was infantilizing the Muslim community by, so she's pointing <laughs> to you, apparently you said this, <laughs> I was infantilizing the Muslim community mm. by even suggesting or, or thinking about framing it in that way. Yeah, I did say that and mm-hmm. I do stick by that as in I think this similar to what Dr. Wafa said, I think mm-hmm. this is important conversation for people of all ages. Again, we're going to be respectful, it's going to be age appropriate, but I don't think this is only a conversation for people over age of 25, for example, for or everyone. people who are married, people who are unmarried, people who mm-hmm. are married, people who are divorced, people who are looking to get married should listen to this conversation understand what does islam say about sex and intimacy mm-hmm. and what do, and as muslim how can we understand about our religion and, and and this important topic so i think it's a a subject that should be important and beneficial for everyone so, so to, to be honest like uh, after that that call which is a very interesting call in its entirety but like after that specific moment i did think about it quite a lot um and i think uh for me at least a lot of it is that the kind of reservations that i have about having this conversation is a lot of that kind of cultural baggage that we have within the Muslim community when it comes to talking about sex. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it was, I, I mean, I appreciate being told off, so mm. I'm, not, I'm not having a go at you guys. I'm, I'm just, I just thought it, it was interesting to, mm. to mention that because it really did get me kind of thinking. Mm. Um, so before you say, I just want to take my hat off to you because even if you found this conversation difficult, difficult we haven't had the it fact, yet. well, the fact that you're willing to have it <laughs> on your platform, so kudos to you. Thank and you. also the fact that we're having a sister on board to sp- that's not really mm. a woman but it's competent in this subject because i think it's easy as men for us to talk about this subject mm. but again for i think it's important that we have a muslim woman and is qualified that can speak about it, that muslim mm. women can resonate and listen to and understand from so kudos to you for again not only inviting me but inviting dr wafa to have this no, conversation th- thank you and, and i think as well like you know part of it when, when we were speaking initially that i you kind of get one shot at a conversation like this and you want to do it right you know you want mm. people to be able to listen with an open mind and, and actually take on what's being said. And as you said, like if it was two men, for example, having the conversation, mm. then sisters would feel like, oh, it's X, Y, Z. Similarly, when you have two sisters discussing it, men feel kind of sidelined and alienated from it. So thank mm. you both for kind of agreeing. I know you guys don't know each other from beforehand. So, mm. but I guess what's, what's also really good is that you both come from kind of very different disciplines and perspectives on mm. this. Um, so I think let, let, let's jump straight in. Um, so the first thing for me was about 
the I guess let, let's put it out there is there a problem um, with how sex is perceived or discussed within the Muslim community and I guess Dr. Wafa we'll start with you on that one yeah there is a huge problem in the Muslim communities about how sex is addressed or sex, sex is talked about and we see this clearly in our work sex is not is never been talked about at all in Muslim communities mm. and even it's talks is when it talked when it is talked about, it's talked about hidden and nothing is clear. And, and you, you mentioned as well that you kind of travel to the Middle East for conferences and, mm. and, and have, you know, are in those kind of spaces where these things are, are happening. Is there a difference between the, the, and obviously our focus is the Muslim community, so like Muslim communities here and there with regards to attitudes towards sex and all of this stuff, or is it just mirrored? Uh, regardless of where you are in the world? I think the stuff is mirrored, are mirrored. Mm. A lot of it is mirrored because um, you will find that most Arabic cultures, they have more or less, they share the more or less like sex is a taboo. Never ever talked about it. When you marry, you will know what you're going to do. And your husband will lead you. Mm. And that's frustrating for me when I hear that. And sex is dirty, sex is not good, sex is about all, it's about your husband. It's about how to serve the man. And I found this frustrating when I work with people because they're only there because they were told to do it. They are not engaged. They are not having any sexual pleasure. Mm. And this is something we need to talk about more. And during our... It's something that we're going to touch on, but I think it's worth, worth, mm. worth mentioning right now based mm. on what you said. The, this notion of um, stripping out spirituality from exactly. from sex mm. um and i guess habib that kind of lends nicely towards something that you mentioned in your book which i've written down and i'll i'll, I'll quote it mm. back to you in a bit but um there's something interesting actually in in a, in a taste of honey um where you talk about and you mentioned just before when, while we were setting up that it took you like 10 years to to research and write and it, it is you know from from the what i have read because as i said it's a very dense book and it's it, there's a lot in there and you covered so much but it's it's very interesting for me at least that there's so much kind of Islamic sources and references throughout because how I look at things is that there's a huge um, almost disconnect between what I see in Muslim space and what we discuss even on platforms like ours um, and and the rich kind of history that we have and, and you mentioned in the book there's kind of this decline in or decline of erotology and I'm going to mm. ask you first what erotology is um, but you mentioned that the heyday was in the 9th to the 14th century um, and then there was a kind of a decline so firstly, what is erotology and, and what do you attribute that decline to? And where, where have we gone wrong, essentially? Sure. So erotology is defined as a study of desire and sex. Um, it comes from the Arabic um, literary genre called ilm al-bah, meaning literally translated as art of sex. Um, and it is a science that a number of Muslim scholars, poets, writers, uh, medical authors discussed and wrote many books about dating back to uh, as early as the ninth century where they used they derived their sources from the quran hadith and even ancient erotologies from the indian tradition like um the karma sutra is a book of hindu erotology and the ancient greeks also spoke about sex and desire again from their perspective so like you mentioned from um, a muslim or islamic perspective we have a rich tradition of many muslim scholars both in the sunni tradition and the shi'i tradition writing extensively about sex desire and sexual ethics which is very important and again and, and the, the purpose of these books was not to only speak about the importance of mutual pleasure obviously within the confines of marriage but
for understanding the importance of female um, romantic fulfillment because that's something that many people don't really speak about, especially nowadays. Whereas a lot of the early Muslim scholars, when they were speaking about erotology, the target audience was primarily men. And they were teaching men not only about female desire, but also how to get the best, how to ensure that your wife is satisfied in the bedroom. So they wrote a great length about it. And, and like you said, there were many books written between the 9th and 14th century. And then towards the 19th and 20th century, that's when it, it tapered off um, considerably. And there were a number of reasons for this. And probably I would say the the biggest reason, the biggest factor was that um, a number of Muslims, because we were obviously colonised by the Western world during that period, we adopted a Western understanding about sex and intimacy. So even when Dr. Wafa um, spoke previously, speaking about sex in many Muslim communities is considered to be dirty and things like that. This type of framing, this type of wording that comes from the um, European or Christian understanding about mm -hmm. sex being dirty and nasty, whereas from an Islamic perspective, sex is a way or pleasurable sex is a way to not only um, ple pleasure your spouse, but also to earn divine rewards with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Exactly. And that's something that I try to emphasize in my book, that even if you mm. haven't read it, the central aim is that Islam is a sexually enlightened religion and sensuality, mm. sensuality should not be devoid of spirituality, as in you can exactly. seek sensuality, you can seek... Um, sexual pleasure obviously within the, within the confines of marriage yeah. and that shouldn't be that's part of spirituality so this idea that sex is separated from um, um, spirituality that's from a Christian perspective or some other religions whereas in Islam they're both intertwined and that's something that I wanted to highlight and bring to people's consciousness especially Muslims that we don't know that there we have got a rich erotic um, literature tradition predominantly in Arabic predominantly written by men but they emphasize importance like I said of mutual sexual satisfaction within marriage and obviously the importance of women's um, romantic fulfillment in the bedroom and also understanding the differences between both male desire and female desire and how you can get the best out of your relationship to have like a, um, fulfill, a healthy and fulfilling relationship mm. with obviously within the confines of marriage. I do just want to say that I, I love that even in this we can blame the west for for, for, for perverting i guess the 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 attitudes and, and and the way that we approach sex as in in most of our podcast episodes we, we end up blaming the west for something so i'm glad that even in in this conversation about sex we can do the same thing but we have to take some um, responsibility oh, no, because yeah. i don't want to just blame the west we can we, um, that's a contributing factor but no. at the same time culture so i mean i'm originally from nigeria and and even when we speak about muslim communities communities it's important we use a plural because in my well in we're Nigeria, not yes, yeah, not we're not homogenous, we're not a monolithic group yeah. and there are many Muslims who teach about sex and intimacy. So this idea that sex is a taboo is not a taboo in some Muslim cultures and that's what I kind of wanted to bring to light and so some that we can share from from different cultures and how they speak about sex and, and desire that mm -hmm. we can So I, I was actually gonna to come to Dr. Wafar, but I, I do wanna ask you one further thing about this because again when we initially spoke, so obviously we spoke probably about two months ago about about first having this conversation. I don't know how I framed it, but but you seem quite taken aback by by my phrasing of it. I think I, I try and, again, cut because of my cultural heritage background, whatever, I try and tiptoe around the subject and, mm. I, and, and it, it's, it's difficult. And I, I think I said that I found some of your content shocking in terms of like, it's very direct. Mm. Um, and then your response to that was, was something along the lines, I'm very surprised that you say that because in my community, in, in my culture, in my background, we don't have this issue. There's that like, celebration and that openness towards sexuality so um and, and yeah like you said we, we have to acknowledge that we're not a monolith as a muslim community you know on the table we're, we've got such fast different backgrounds mm -hmm. here and um, the muslim community is is you know huge huge 
But um, with regards to uh, the direction that we've gone, why do you think that we've we've kind of veered off in a different way? Mm-hmm. And also, you know, what's um, you know, you give talks and you speak about this, and, and I, I've seen you on Instagram lives and, and doing webinars and seminars and, and and you know everything else before COVID, obviously. But um, what's been your understanding of kind of modern conversations in Muslim communities? And I guess also, you know. Uh, it would be good to also appreciate it from like a cultural perspective, like the cultures that are more open, cultures that are more closed and what direction we're kind of going in. It's a brilliant question. I would say if I were to sum it up and it's looking at many cultures, both mm-hmm. even Muslim and non-Muslim, we have a problem of male sexual entitlement where <laughs> this the concept of sex and desire and intimacy, it's not really a problem amongst many Muslim circles, amongst Muslim men, sorry, mm. but it's generally an issue when if Muslim women want to speak about desire or speak about even within the confines of their marriage they feel like they're they might be shamed they might feel that they're not able to even conversate with their own husband they might not even bring able to bring this topic to speak about in public or speak to the imam and there's a lot of men who are uncomfortable to hear women's views or their opinions or some of their issues in regards to the issue of sex but when it comes to muslim men if a muslim man has an issue go and marry another wife divorce your wife exactly even if it's related to sex so it's not that we have reservations speaking about this topic mm. we have reservations speaking about this topic when it pertains to women mm. that's that's what i've noticed so the, <clears throat> the the culture of male sexual entitlement is something which is you could say it's a pandemic it's across many cultures and that's something that i think um that's one of the something i'm trying to do is not only to speak and hear what different women competent women can speak about this issue but also to to um, educate men as well because we need to be able to listen understand from the woman's perspective because at the end of the day if we are marrying women we don't want to satisfy their needs which was that was something that wasn't the understanding of a lot of the early muslim scholars and that's what i wanted to speak about that it was part of your duty as a man as a muslim man as a muslim husband not only to provide for your wife um in terms of financially but also to provide in the bedroom and romantically as well and understanding her needs and not just thinking about penetrative intercourse sorry for being a bit you know straight to the point but that's something that we're obsessed with rather <clears> than understanding there's different ways to pleasure a woman without always thinking about sexual penetration so that's what i wanted to kind of bring to light and again have these conversations with different people who are competent qualified educated that can educate not only women but also men as well because i think we need to understand that sex it should be a mutually pleasurable act for both parties and not something that's just about the man so the culture of male sexual time and i think that's something that we kind of need to address and give women the power where they feel entitled to sexual pleasure the way many muslim men do feel entitled to pleasure that's absolutely right because women don't feel they are entitled And also, I, I agree with you, but I don't think men have to provide for women any What? sexual pleasure. I, I disagree with that because women should seek their sexual pleasure. Therefore, they have to be really have the freedom to talk about their sexual needs. Mm. Men can provide, yeah, but from my experience, men provide what they know. They don't provide what the woman needs. And that's really frustrating. And the woman, as um, Habib said, They haven't got a voice. They haven't got the power to speak about their needs. They always feel like ashamed. They always feel like they shouldn't speak about it. Whatever they receive from the man, they accept it. It's all about pleasing the man. And that's that's not right. We should really help women to speak about their needs. So we have to teach them. We have to educate them how they get pleasure, how they really enjoy sex with a partner, how they say no if they don't like it, how they want to be connected during sex, because sex is not about physical contact. It's, it's beyond that. 
It has emotions, it has feelings, exactly as Habib said, it's spirituality, but big part of it is being yourself, looking at your own self, being connecting with other self. And, and that's a big thing. We don't do it. We don't talk about it. So I think there is a big thing we need. We need to concentrate on women more than men because Habib said, and I see in my clinic that men knows exactly everything. And when you start working with them, that you find men, they, I do everything you say, but no response from the other one. Mm. And I hated when I, I seen a woman yesterday who said, my husband called me frigid, which is mm. a very difficult term to say. Mm. She is not. She says he does what he wants and that's it, he, off he goes. And that's not right. Woman has to get what they need sexually. I think what's really interesting is that on a, on a kind of relationship level, uh, before we get to the kind of sexual level, you know, relationships, marriage is, is difficult. And, and communication, and, and you, you mentioned this, and, and you just also kind of alluded to it, that communication is key. Um, and it's something that I think, you know, when, and, and you see it in, in your own relationships as well, like when communication is strong, you can go through hard times, you can go through times when everything is good, but, but that communication is kind of what, what keeps that bond together. Mm. Um, but, but I guess I wanted to ask you, and, and you've already kind of alluded to it, but in terms of your, the clinics and, and the mm. couples that you've seen, um, I'm sure there are kind of recurring themes because what I've seen at least is that when, when I get together with my friends and, and, and mm. we do discuss um, our, our marriage or like the grievances we have with our wives and, and whatever, like, oh, we don't get enough time to play PlayStation, you know, the, the very trivial stuff, you find that everyone has the kind of same experience. Um, and obviously that's very kind of trivial. So the assumption then, although we don't get to that level of talking about sex in depth, but the assumption then is that even on a sexual level, people have similar issues. Yeah. Um, but we just don't share or whatever else. So you're probably very well placed to mm. be able to, I guess, uh, share a little bit more about what exactly the recurring issues are. Specifically, I guess, again, within the Muslim community, but w what kind of things do you see as, as recurring issues? Okay, before I go there, I w just want to comment on what you have just said. It's about That's communication. <laughs> okay, okay, good. I didn't say yeah. anything wrong. No, it's not wrong. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's interesting that when you start working with people, they will say, oh, I have a, a good relationship, fantastic relationship with my husband. I have no issues at all. It's only when it comes to sex. And actually, when you start working with them, they have difficulty in communication in general. And if they have difficulty in communication in general, imagine how they can communicate, communicate sexually. Mm. Sexual communication is very difficult. No one- Is that, sorry, is that because there's like a heightened level of vulnerability? at that point i think it's more goes to many different factors first of all sex is taboo you shouldn't talk about it we were brought up in societies muslim societies in middle east particularly and shouldn't talk about it okay there is no sex education there is no knowledge there is no prior information about anything mm -hmm. so it's 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 again even she's gonna talk she doesn't know what what they are talking about Okay, so the, the recurring theme I see is everything goes back to difficult communication or bad communication, okay? Because they don't know how to speak, how, what language they use to speak about sex, all right? So most of the issues I, I see in my clinic is um, woman will come and in front of the husband, she will say, we are good, we are, everything's fine, 
It's just I, I don't feel like I want sex, for example, or I feel pain when I have sex, or I can't have penetration. So they always refer to physical things. I don't have an orgasm, okay? I don't have um, a, um, desire to have sex. So all these kind of things which are vague, and when you talk about them, don't you see the way we were taught to work with sex education is to look at physical, physiological, um, and then psychological becomes like part of it. If you know how to do it, you do it. If don't, then you concentrate on medical part. And after in the 90s where this Viagra and things came out, it made it more medical. Mm. And even orgasm, it becomes like medical. Mm -hmm. Everything, it becomes medical. So when you talk about it, 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 it goes back to upbringing. It goes back to the childhood. It goes back to traumas. It goes back to neglect. It goes back to sexual abuse. It goes back to the culture. Culture is a big part of it because we don't teach our children anything. I heard many women saying, I got married, mom didn't say anything to me. How did you learn? I heard from my friends, I read books, I go to pornography sites, they teach me. Mm -hmm. How do you get all this information? So I think the, the, the common theme in, in Arabic, not Arabic, sorry, I mean in Asian or Arabic or Islamic societies is we are not acknowledging sex at all. And this is a big thing. Jump in. Yeah, free. sorry, can I interject? <laughs> I, I loved it. I was just nodding so much. I loved everything what Dr. Wafa was saying. I was, um, from my experience, some of the common sexual problems that I've received, both from men and women, so from women, because I do receive, I mean, I don't practice like clinically, but I receive a number of messages and um, about like sexual problems. And the most common problem I receive from women and this is both Muslim and non-Muslim women, is either the inability to orgasm during sex or a lack of desire. And one of the reasons I would say for these two issues is that people's, people have got a misunderstanding about sex because like Dr. Mm -hmm. Wafa said, a lot of people have been, I would say, educated or miseducated from porn. Mm -hmm. As in they think that most women are going to climax via penetrative intercourse when Not the reality, once, yeah, when <laughs> when the reality only thirty percent of women regularly um, <clears throat> experience an orgasm via penetrative sex. So there's a lot of pressure, but placed both on the man and the woman that if the woman doesn't experience climax via intercourse, that something is wrong with her or she's broken. When in reality, mm -hmm. that's not <clears throat> the most um, effective route for most women to experience a climax. So that's a big sexual problem that I, I hear a lot. Another one is the loss of desire. Now there was a study that was published recently that um, found that 43% of women yeah. experienced um, loss of desire at some point or some stage in their life. And one of the reasons behind this is because a lot of people, both men and women, do not understand female desire. That female desire is not the same mm -hmm. as male desire. Male desire generally is spontaneous, as in it's out of the blue, you can so see something. One it's one and it's linear. Mm -hmm. Whereas generally a lot of women's desire is circular. circular, it's holistic, and it's responsive. And that's something that many people, even a lot of women, aren't even aware of, is that they think that there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. They think that they've lacked desire, and especially in a, in a marriage of, over a period of time, that their desire is not what it used to be. And then they think that they're somewhat inadequate. So that's why it's important that we educate and inform people about sex education properly so they understand that, no, in many cases, your low libido that you're worrying about isn't actually low in reality. It's just that there's a different way of actually mm -hmm. rekindling and sustaining mm -hmm. that desire that both, both the woman isn't aware of and the man themselves. So that's why it's important that, you know, we educate. And just for the benefit of the men, the common sexual problem I receive from men is um, basically how to last long in the bedroom, basic premature ejaculation. And again, because of porn, they think they should be lasting like as 
for an hour, 45 minutes, when in reality, mm. most men can only last about five minutes um, during Absolutely, penetrative yeah. intercourse. So it's having realistic expectations. Mm. But because a lot of people have been miseducated, like I said, from porn, all of our friends exaggerate about sex, both men and women. So you've got this unrealistic expectation going into the bedroom that you're supposed to last X mm. amount of time. And, you know, so th that's the problem. So that's why we need to have, you know, honest mm. and open conversations where people can be um, informed about yeah, and realign their um, their sexual education and sexual expectations. So I was just about to say, I, the next point I wanted to get on was was sexual education. Mm. But but just before that, um, when we when we spoke previously, you mentioned some of like the more specific recurring things. So you mm. mentioned, I think, vaginism and and porn or sex addiction as being mm. two things that you've seen very commonly. In, yeah. Can you touch on and elaborate just a little bit more about about those and any others that are there? Because I think communication you mentioned is another one that's like a general thing. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. I think vaginismus is a big issue in, in Muslim communities. And what is vaginismus? The, oh, yeah. Vaginismus is an, an ability to have sick, um, vaginal penetration. And it's it's very common or pain when you they have penetration. So it's 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 very common. It's the woman is not able to insert the penis inside her. Mm. And it's really difficult. And when the, she can't, ends up with having severe pain. And the more she has pain, the more it becomes fearful and she can't perform so it becomes like no go area there and is that a physical or a psychological issue that's a good question because vaginismus could be physical but it's again you can't you can't say vaginismus is only physical it's it, it vaginismus is a, a big thing it's physical it's psychological and it's emotional it's culture you can say it, you can put all this together but you can the woman can have like insert anything inside her but when it comes to her husband she can't mm. and therefore psychological part in working with vaginismus is very important and for example i i talked to a woman today she has been married for six years and she tried everything possible and this is really um she went to many doctors she went to many um physical therapist who they help with training the muscle because we know vaginismus is just like involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor muscle therefore they when they contract they close the vagina so nothing can go in mm. and the woman really was frustrated she was broken completely she said i tried everything and the problem is as exactly as habib said that the people who's, who see us or see people from our communities, they don't understand the culture. They don't, they don't understand us in the way they should. So she's seen a lot of people here, but no one ever touched on her background. Mm. When we talk about vaginismus, we have to look years back. We look about childhood experiences, what happened when they were growing up, what kind of care they received, what attachment style they had with their parents, have they had any kind of emotional difficulties, what was the relationship between them and their parents, what happened in their life, and then again, what happened when this problem developed? It's something in life, life events cause this problem, and then what maintained the problem? So there is a lot we need to look at, and really this woman mentioned a sentence which really affected me very badly because she said since i was young my mom was talking about 
sexual intercourse. She talked about the pain. She said that it's very painful. Mm. When you have a give birth, it's very painful. So the woman, she said- Psychologically that will, Exactly. Yeah. She said, I, I am sitting, crossing my legs because I, am, I, I really worry about pain. Mm. Even she has no sex. It's just, she is closing her legs all the time. God knows what else. It was just a, like 10 minutes consult, telephone consultation. And it's, it's, it's what message we give to our kids? What message to give to our girls about sex when they're growing up? So you're, you're saying that, that our experiences and our culture and how our parents talk to us or how it's even not talked about, for example, can mm. create and breed these kind of long-lasting oh, yeah. psychological yeah. and even physiological yeah. issues. Yeah, definitely. It's, there is no information, as I said, no sex education, mm. no even open conversation for the child to experience or the woman, I mean, the, the girl to experience herself. Yeah. Even, you see, part of physio physiological development is a child exploring their genitals. So the, the girl will touch her private part, the boy will touch his penis, and then they learn. And once the family sees that, they start um, shouting at the, car, at the children and make them feel. You mean from like a very young from age? Very young, uh, from very young age. So you're talking about when they develop the awareness of their Exactly, genitals. part of this development childhood ex development mm. is is kids are ex are exploring themselves so it starts from there so if you see your your boy is touching his genital parts then straight away you worry about what he's doing and then you start shouting at them mm. and he does it again you shout at them so the child grows up with the idea that my body is something shameful my body is a taboo so i shouldn't be touching that no one should touch that. And negative messages, a lot of negative messages we get as we grow up. And on, on the side of um, sex or porn addiction, mm. um, again, I think previously you mentioned that there are very high levels of pornography use in the Middle East. Absolutely. Um, for me, the simple assumption is that that's because of uh, sexual repression and, and, and similar kind of messaging that you're kind of alluding mm. to that, you know, you don't do this until you're married. But then there's like that big vacuum period in the middle mm. where people are going to use the internet, explore whatever else. Mm. Um, so, so you mentioned that as like a recurring issue. If you want to just speak a little bit more about that. Yeah, it, it's a recurring issue. But if you look at sex addiction, sex addiction has multiple um, roots into it. So if we put sex addiction in, 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 in a circle, we, we have something like opportunity, exactly like you click on the computer, something came up. And then you click more, more to come, and then you become interested. But there are also childhood issues like traumas. Traumas, yeah. There is trauma. There is childhood issues when you were growing up in your house. Where what kind of care you received? How did you attach with your parents? Mm. And there are many, many issues for sex addiction. And the people I work with in the Middle East, for example, or in Muslim communities, when I explore their upbringing or childhood, there are many, many issues there which made them look to something like that. It's not like when, when you do sex addiction or you become sexually addicted. It's at the time when you develop that, you felt like it gives you a, um, a short soothing um, or coping mechanism. Mm. So when, when, when you watch pornography, you enjoy it, 
dopamine clicks in your head, you feel happy, and you start touching yourself, blah, blah, blah. It's, it gives you a, an, an instant pleasure, yeah. and it makes you feel relaxed. So if whatever kind of pain you have, it, it, it calms this pain. But the problem is it's a very short, instant kind of calming. So straight away after that, you feel like, that's wrong. Why should I, what I have done that? It's a shameful thing. And then you go back to the cycle and you search again. You want to feel better about your pain. So it's sex addiction. It has, I, I, for me, sex addiction is not like, um, I, I consider sex, sex addiction is, is a big problem, but it has its own reasons. Mm. So the people, it's exactly like people uh, resort to alcohol. Why they take alcohol or drugs? or do certain behaviors, it's a, more or less the neuroscience are, is the same behind that. But so, so again, obviously, I have a very basic and simplistic understanding of this, mm. but, but are all addictions then just a coping mechanism? Not all. Yeah, it's more. Most of them are. But don't forget to say one reason of them is opportunity. Mm. So opportunity means probably are working and then something came up. And you but no, but, but, but opportunity is because because uh, th there's there's uh, using pornography, mm. then there's addiction, mm. right? So as I understand, it, obviously opportunity is what's that kind of gateway that mm. gets you in there. Mm. But then the addiction side of things is is because you create that neural pathway. I think yes, you mentioned absolutely. Towards yeah. this as a soothing coping mechanism. Yes. Mm. Um, that's interesting. And, and to be honest, like, you know, we were discussing just a few days ago that it's, we, we probably might even look at having like a whole separate podcast. I think we should. And, yeah, and, and each one, um, especially from like a, a mm. psychology perspective, understanding these problems, because and, and in fact, this leads nicely onto the education point. Mm. Um, so what I'd kind of written down here was just reflecting on my own sex ed as a, as a young person. And it was mm. in school year. Yeah. I don't know, I was like 15 years old. I can't remember what year that is in the school system. And they just kind of give you very basic advice. They teach you about condoms and whatever else. And like, until, that's about it. Until now. Until now. And, and, mm. and that's the point that like, there's nothing really within the, and like at Madrasa, you get told masturbation's haram mm. and that's pretty much it. Um, but even when it comes to, like you mentioned, people getting married. Mm. Um, so often like in our culture, at least you have a best man who's usually married who mm. will then give you the advice and, and, and tell mm. you what needs to be done and whatever. And obviously is no expert on the matter mm. himself necessarily. But um, what have you guys seen in terms of sex ed in the Muslim space? And mm. also what sh where should people be getting their sexual education from? I think we'll start with Habib because you've been mm. quiet for quite some time. <laughs> no, I've um, been listening attentively to what's it. But, but yeah, so, so uh, what have you seen of the kind of sex ed and... and, and where should we be going with that? What do we need? Big very question. difficult, big question, very <laughs> big difficult question. question. Again, it depends. I think, again, so obviously I was born in the UK, mm. but obviously from a Nigerian household. So, so culturally I was brought up, in, brought up in a Nigerian household, right? So the way I was taught about sex, it wasn't from my parents, it was from my older cousins or mm. uncles who kind of have these conversations with me from a relatively young age. Some of it was quite informal. Um, but they'll speak about sex, they'll speak about sexual ethics and how you're supposed to be in the bedroom, mm. right? And how you're supposed to perform all the rest of it when you get married. So most of my sex education came from, like I said, my older cousins or uncles, or to be honest with you, from TV and films that I was watching, even from music in terms of how you're supposed to behave in the bedroom. What I learned from my schooling system instead of sex ed, that was just the mechanics. That was mm. just the biology. But in terms of 
sexual ethics and then most importantly sexual pleasure Mm. and understanding consent as in if she's not interested don't go there although the word consent wasn't used growing up it was understanding of if if your wife is not interested you don't even pursue it Mm. right that was taught by our I would say by osmosis, by my surroundings, I, by what I saw on TV, what was kind of considered to be acceptable behaviours in the bedroom. And that's how I learned. And that's how I think a lot of people learn about sex. The problem is nowadays is that, maybe I'm giving away my age, <laughs> internet wasn't so popular when I was growing up, whereas now it is. And that's the main resource for mm. people to learn about sex. And it's not only internet, it's pornography. Mm. So that's that's one of the biggest problems. Um, I think it's important. People will learn about, some people prefer a very formal setting, like in a classroom. Some people prefer going to workshops. Mm -hmm. Some people prefer to learn about sex by their parents. Some people, they're uncomfortable to have that conversation with their parents. They'll prefer to have it with um, an older person that they respect. I would say it's probably better not to be educated by your peer because as peers, we kind of exaggerate. We're not open. We don't show our vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. So you want to be educated by someone who's like been there, done that. But again, someone's got more experience than you, whether it's like an older family member or someone in your community that you respect. It might be the local imam. There are different sources. There are different people that you can speak to. But we have to remember that some people, like I said, are not comfortable to have that conversation with their parent. They'll prefer Mm -hmm. to have it with an uncle. Others, it might be going to a workshop. Some people prefer going to an informal setting, but I think it's important rather than talk complaining about the lack of sex education or lack of appropriate or sex education that includes sexual ethics and sexual pleasure, we create avenues for people to get sexual, correct sexual education. Is is the problem not that... um... So you mentioned your age. I don't know how old you are, but you mentioned 36. giving away your. I wasn't asking. <laughs> <laughs> a young looking thirty six. I know because some people might be thinking I'm, I'm an old. I'm, I'm twenty one. Thirty. But um, <laughs> when I was when I was growing up in school, um, you know, it, it was. I remember getting Facebook in my early teens, um, but there, it wasn't like it is now, um, and even. Um, so I, I, I've, I've now like I've, I've delivered a few kind of workshops at, at different local madrasas to parents, mm. um, educating <clears throat> them on the, the, the dangers of social media, um, obviously not framed as that, but just a, a, an exploration of social media and getting parents to understand um, what their kids are signing up for. Um, so I know, for example, one dad said to me that like I let my kid have all the social media platforms, but it has to be on my phone. Okay. So I have access. I have all the logins. I can look at his, oh. his communications. I trust him, so I won't. But he knows also that I'm I'm watching, right? Which I think is was a really interesting way. And, and then there was stuff around um, another parent, and, and I, I love some of his advice, which is why it stuck with me. Another parent was talking about, and maybe you'll be able to relate to this from a psychological perspective. Mm. But he said that he goes for drives with his kids, with his with his sons individually at night, so it's dark, and they're, <coughs> they're both looking forward, and he'll ask the tough questions, and he'll have those difficult conversations in and, the dark. In the dark. Because it's difficult to, or for example, another dad to, said, to, to look eye exactly to, eye. to look eye to eye, especially when you don't have necessarily that that bond. That bond but they're yeah. trying to establish and create that connection. Mm. Um, and then another one was talking about like he'll wash uh, the car with his kids, and and while they're washing the car because they're doing an activity, then you slip in those conversations. You're nodding. Is that it's a bad thing? I think what sex education has to start from um, young age. How young? How young? Um, as young as two. Okay, so my, my daughter is two. What does that look like for me? So if your daughter, for example, touches herself mm. or touches herself, and then just let her do that because by stopping her, mm. and then she will do it again. It's it's at this at this age, and when they're growing up, they explore themselves. That's a natural 
process. Mm. They need to know what is this and when they are become three, four, five, why boys are different from girls. So they start trying to explore, even they explore together sometimes. Mm. So it's the idea is to let her, not to shame her when she does something like that. When she does it, understand she is trying to explore. She is not doing it because something else, unless it becomes recurrent. Unless it becomes recurrent in front of people, at this stage, you need to make sure that nothing is bothering her. So it's important to allow the children to explore themselves in the good way. If there is any opportunity or in any question, we need to answer that question according to the age of that child. And by doing that, slowly, gently, you give them information according to their age, knowledge, and let them know about parts. When they are in the path, you can tell them they probably touch part. This is named this, this is named this. Something suitable for their age. So you see, even on that point, this is something that we've been discussing in the office mm. um, because a, a, a couple of us have kids uh, mm. all around actually similar age, two-ish. Mm. And we're thinking about sex ed as, as, as one particular avenue. Mm. And how, at least from an Islamic perspective, there isn't currently a framework for this in terms mm. of what age do you tell your kids what? Um, and and my particular personal concern is that, like you were mentioning, how you know I, I started actually making this point, and I got sidetracked talking about kids and parents and whatever. But um, social media has kind of just created this this avenue where I think there's almost like a a this hypersexualization of everything. The media as well. The, the, the <coughs> media generally, but I, I think the internet, it's just rampant. So even mm. things like TikTok, you've mm. got underage kids essentially dancing in, in very little clothes. Mm. And that's like, that, yeah. that's considered appropriate, good content that get, that goes viral. Um, and, and young people and old people are, are, are consuming this stuff. Um, and so I feel like we haven't kind of caught up at a time when, you know, when I was younger, yes, of course, sex is always a, a thing and it's discussed mm. or whatever, but I feel like it was more balanced in terms of like, you weren't hearing from this side, but you weren't also hearing from the mm. hypersexualized side. Now we've got all this noise. And, and as you said, we learned through osmosis. So you've got all this noise on one side where you're just taking this all in, but then we have no counter narrative. Exactly. Um, so how, how do we create that? We have to just create the spaces. I mean, there mm. are people, but we need to amplify those people's voices because mm. there are people that are teaching sex ed online mm. um, and in um, age-appropriate settings to women only, men only. So there are spaces, but what generally happens is that, and I've, this is something I've noticed, if you frame yourself or position yourself as a Muslim that's speaking about sex, you're going to have a lot of backlash within the Muslim community. If you just mm. happen to be a sex educator speaking about sex, yeah. then Muslims are more likely to listen to you. So in a way, it's kind of like you can't, Put your religion in the forefront but for, isn't for, isn't sorry, sorry to cut you off yeah. isn't that because there's like this kind of shame element i think it's what people's misunderstanding about the religion and the reason why the reason why i'll say that sorry to cut yeah. you off is that if i were to say for example a lot of muslims have heard about the karma sutra and they'll be happy they'll happy they'll be more than happy to read it and then when i say you know that's a religious textbook from a hindu perspective all of a sudden they oh they wasn't aware of that mm. when i mentioned the five love languages everyone speaks about that yeah. by gary chapman when i say he was mm. a christian minister has come from a christian perspective do you not consider that a christian textbook people all of a sudden they don't know what to say yeah whereas when it's a muslim anything you speak about is like this is a religious textbook and they feel uncomfortable to it from a religious person so I'd rather mm. go from secular sources but, but that's what i mean but that's the problem right yeah. that we've, we've disassociated sex from Islam to such an extent, because in Islam, um, I think I think um, Salim, what we hear um, from clerks and 
and imams that they, some of them translate. I'm not, I'm not going to say all Muslims, clerks, are translating Islam in the right way. Mm. Okay, so it's again, as we all know, there are many hadiths out there which are not right. In, in, emphasizing that woman, for example, should listen to her husband. I'm pleased that Habib talked about he was told, not if the woman says no, he respects that. Mm. Actually, in Islam, it's opposite teaching. Because if you talk, if, if the woman wants, a, um, if a man wants a woman and she said no, then all malaika will be angry with her until she gets up in the morning. There is a hadith like that. Have you ever come? I haven't come across No, there is hadith like that. Wherever your husband, whenever your husband asks you, Mm. you have to obey. And that's not right. So we, I, I don't know if you come across. Yeah, that. I know the hadith. I, I think a lot it's, of it it's is. It's not a big hadith. It's not. It's a daif hadith. It's, it's not, a lot of. I think it comes down to the interpretation of the hadith. Exactly. Um, that's what I'm saying. That, and that's one of the thing. And that's something which. So, for example, there's verse in the Quran which teach, which in, t- tell us that we're supposed to respect our parents. There's some mm-hmm. parents that abuse that. And mm. some people will abuse that, but it's not the the Quran that's at fault. No, that you it's are not supposed the to Quran. Obey. It's the no. people that's abusing that, and they will manipulate that. Do you understand? So there are yeah. hadiths which mm. speak about the importance of the wife fulfilling the husband's right in the bedroom. Mm. The same way, there's importance of the man fulfilling the man's right. I mean, the wife's right in the bedroom. Now, the yeah, problem is, is that a lot Quran. of the clerics, mm. imams, dairies, majority men, mm. we're speaking again. The, well, I spoke about the male sexual enticement earlier. They will emphasize these hadiths. They'll emphasize the importance of the woman fulfilling the man's duties. And, um, you know, and there's no balance. And so that's you, the yeah. problem. So, so uh, again, sorry to cut you off, but you mentioned uh, Suyuti. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's like volumes and volumes of books that he's written mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this. And it's something I had no clue about. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's what's really interesting. Because when I think about education, there's kind of two levels to it. So for, for me, thinking from like the Muslim vibe perspective, I'm always thinking grassroots. Like we can, the three of us can work together, create content, create mm. like, you know, a framework for at this age, this is what you should be saying to your kids. And in fact, it's something that we're actually trying to do. And, and I might that, that would be great this. because it's all will start from childhood. Yeah. The more the child grows up, the more you feed them with, they ask questions. They ask sexual question, and we feel shy. Don't talk about this. But don't it's be, mention. It's because, it's because we don't have a, a, an alternative narrative. Or an the, alternative therefore, framework. we have to learn we as have, parents. Yeah. We have to learn that if there is a question, it's it's a platform mm. to answer in the right language for the right age at the time. And the more they grow up, say for example, you are watching a film, and then some erotic scenes or a case or whatever. Straight away, some parents will switch off the. F- TV. Yeah, shoe flying across yeah the and what message do you give to your child? Yeah. And actually, you encourage him to go and search behind your back, find more information, what's about that, mm. and probably will get more interested. But if we take this, any opportunity to teach them, to feed them with the right information about what sex is about, what sexual relationship is about, how, how women and... A lot of children will ask, where did I come from? How... Uh, how did you get me? And then we say, oh, you came from the sky. Mm. Or God just gave you to us. It's, it's, it's all really idiotic answers. And, and actually, it should be clear. We should be clear according to the age. And I think as well, just to add to that, mm. I think like so similar with the platform that you've created and what you're doing. Yes, you're educating people. You're empowering people. But you're also entertaining people. Correct me mm. if I'm wrong. You're right, right? That's how you... With the Muslim vibe? You with the Muslim vibe, yeah, yeah. right. Mm. And I think that's important because generally when people think, and I'm generalizing here, people think about Islam or sex education, it's yeah. like rule-based. 
halal haram. And I think mm. that's not the way we should look at it. When you're speaking about any relationship, whether it's a interpersonal relationship, we've got a friend, you don't think about this, is what I can and can't do. Mm. We've mm. got friends that these are their things. They are, it's about, it's, and that's why as Muslims, when we teach about Islam or these topics, understand the spirit of the law as opposed to declare rigid, this is what you can't do, this is what you can do. Because most people know like the boundaries in terms of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Now within exactly. the mm. boundaries, obviously of a marriage, there's many things that maybe is acceptable for one person in their marriage. It's not acceptable for another person based on their culture, their personality. And that's what we need to kind of speak about because generally we just present one ideal mm. and then people feel, okay, if they don't conform to this ideal, there's somewhat then bad Muslim or there's something mm-hmm. wrong with them. And that's not the case. And that's why I just think we just need to expand how we're even framing and speaking about sex education. Because even when I think about sex education, to be honest, I just think of it's a dry subject. I'm just going to be hearing about biology. I'm just going to be hearing from Islamic mm-hmm. perspective, halal haram, that's it. Whereas people speaking about sexual ethics, consent, pleasurable sex or intimacy or relationships, you're speaking about many things that just doesn't pertain to like what Dr. Wafa said previously about the actual acts. You're speaking mm-hmm. about a lot of the acts or the attitudes that precede actual acts mm-hmm. of sex as well. So I think that we just need to kind of be clever when we're marketing it as well but but, but i I guess the point is that we we don't even get to that point because we don't talk about sex we do we're talking about it now no we're we're talking about it now but (laughs) people are talking about about it now but even husband and wives they don't talk about it and this is a frustration Mm. of it and when you start working with them i worked with many people who were like how on earth you say that how on earth you want me to call my parts or my wife's purse in certain way. I said, I'm not. Call them whatever you like. But there is there is always resistance mm. about learning, about saying Islam give us all the liberty, give us all the freedom to enjoy each other. Yeah. But we don't use it. We have certain fixed, um, what do you call it? Um, teaching mm-hmm. about, about sex. Mm. So we have to change that. And, we have to change yeah. it. So I mean... When you say we don't speak about it, we do speak about or at least read about or some of us are unfortunately watching it, but we are not speaking about it or people are not speaking about it in their relationships. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a problem. So mm. in, so it's not, it's because again, if people are, have, have received correct, appropriate sex education yeah. and they're having these open and honest conversations and being vulnerable with their partners in the bedroom, then it's not an issue. You don't need to have like these, so many, so many of these platforms, but because men are hearing it from one source, women are hearing it from one source, and a lot of that information that they receive in this sex education is miseducation, and they're not even speaking between themselves. That's why there's this problem. Mm. And, and I have to add to that, Habib, that mm. every couple is unique. Mm. So whatever you do with your wife is not necessarily what I do with my husband. Mm. It's not Habib was do with his, his mm. wife. Every couple is unique. Mm. They build up their sexual relationship to, according to their needs, emotions, feeling, Connection, spiritual. I don't like this word. Spirituality. Yeah, I can say it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, all this included. Okay, so exactly as you said, it's vulnerability. How can you show your emotion, your feelings, yourself mm. to the person in front of you? How can you be there without feeling judged, without feeling like um, misunderstood? Can be feel f- free and safe and protected. We don't do that. It's, it's, it's frustrating when you work with couples and to get them to this stage, it, it takes a lot of effort. Mm. And again, they have to, they say, oh, but I was, I was seeing um, a white girl who has um, initially vaginismus now turned it to be like pain during sex. 
And she was frustrated. She said, are you saying um, I'm the only one having this? I said, no. If you are the only one, I wouldn't be in this clinic because I'm seeing many people like you. She said, oh, are you saying there are people around me who have the same problem? I said, yes. And um, she felt, no, all my friends are okay. All my friends are fine. They don't have this problem. Actually, they enjoy what they do. Said, as, as Habib said earlier, if I'm not performing in my bedroom, I'm not going to come and talk to my friend and say, by the way, I have oh, issues. Awful, yeah. I, it's marvelous. It's great. <laughs> and everyone, particularly men, they show they are great in bed. All right. But they don't show you, they don't tell you the truth. So they hear from their friends and they come and tell you, I'm the only one who have problems. Mm. There are many people out there have many problems, but some of them are able to come and seek help. Some of them, maybe they are at the verge of divorce. They have to do something about it. Maybe some of them were sent by their husbands to, mm. to be sorted out. There are many, many things there. So many problems like that out there and I think more in our communities. So you said you, you don't like pronouncing the word spirituality. So no, I, it's, no, it's no, sometimes no. it's not I don't like. It's sometimes it doesn't. I know, but I, I apologize. <laughs> but I, the, the lo last, I love the, spirituality. The last <laughs> segment, we're going to be talking about spirituality. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, Habib, just a quote from your book. Um, in the mm. introduction, you say the central aim of the book is to argue that Islam is a sexually enlightened religion, mm. which teaches that sensuality should not be devoid of spirituality. Mm. The book also argues that the loss of sacred sexuality afflicting modern society can be reclaimed by a revival of the classical erotological traditions. Um, for people listening, yes, it's very dense. The whole book is very dense. And now it's, it's a very good... No, no, you have to de deconstruct Yeah, that. we have to deconstruct all this. But, but, but I thought, um, and, and this has been like, I mean, we're, we're just coming up to like an hour now and it's been mm. a fascinating conversation. Mm. Um, and I, I definitely think we there needs to be more of this, um, you know, whether it's a separate podcast or if we do this again, like mm. a part two and we pick on specific issues because I've, mm. you know, like we discussed before, I think this is very much a surface level conversation, mm. but there is so much more depth that we kind of need to um, get into. So I wanted to pick up on this uh, and it's something that we've discussed in passing and I've kind of overlooked it as, as you guys have mentioned it, but the, mm. the spiritual side. Um, mm -hmm. And Dr. Wafa, when we spoke last, I've got here, ask her before the podcast, but I forgot to. <laughs> You mentioned uh, a model that have you have you got it there? Perfect. Okay, cool. <laughs> so we'll we'll get back to that in a second. So so Habib, um, with regards to the book, you know, you, you mentioned that you wanted this to kind of make the argument for Islam being linked to spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, can you expand on that? Sure. So um, what I wanted to demonstrate with the book, and that's why I quoted and referenced so many different scholars um, from different centuries speaking about this topic, was that the pursuit of pleasure or the pursuit of sensuality, um, obviously, as long as it's within the confines of marriage, it's a, it's a way to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know that's something that we're all seeking. We're all seeking to enter paradise. Mm. We're all seeking to earn mm. the pleasure of Allah. And people often um, disregard that, yes, we speak about charity, we speak about fasting, but being good to your wife, your wife being good to her husband as well obviously pleasuring your wife pleasuring your husband these are ways where you can earn divine rewards and this is why a number of the scholars spent um spoke about it at great length because like dr wafa said every couple is unique and different and the idea of them speaking about erotology in the different ways to pleasure 
your wife or your husband was because they wanted to present different ways that like there's not just one way mm. and one thing that i which i really loved about early muslim scholars that spoke about this topic is that they were how old are they? they were polymaths as in there wasn't just someone that was an expert in islamic law yeah, jurisprudence yeah. there wasn't someone that they they looked into theology they were looked into uh, medicine they looked into different like it's a lot of the social scientists that we could that we kind of revere today and i think that's something that i think even with many of our whether they're scholars or speakers to take benefit and to, you're not going to lo- know everything but you can learn some of the jewels from other social sciences and understand <clears> the psychology <throat> and these type of things that this is something that again we can kind of learn from and that's something which again because one of the one of the issues i think that's i think a lot of muslims are troubled with is that we want the balance like you mentioned earlier we don't want to go to the one extreme of associating sex with just being about either procreation or it's painful, which mm-hmm. Dr. Wafa said. And we don't want to go to the other extreme, which we see in many secular societies that hedonism. hedonism. Yeah. And it's just about the pursuit of pleasure at all costs without having the restraint that we have to understand our religion teaches us. We have to have sexual restraint. Mm-hmm. We, we can't just follow your desires and have relations with anyone and everyone that yeah. you want. And even within the confines of your, 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 your bedroom, like it doesn't mean just because she's your wife, because some cultures teach that you've got access to your wife anytime and every time. And Islamically, yeah. that's not the case. Exactly. So that's why it's about having, having that balance. And that's something which mm-hmm. when I'm speaking about, um, reviving the classic erotology tradition is because they spoke about the jewels of sexual pleasure and intimacy, but also spoke about, the rewards that potentially you can get from it from a spiritual perspective. And this is something that not only can obviously engender, increase the love between the partners, but also ultimately, inshallah, you can earn divine rewards with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for me, like I said, sensuality is not devoid of spirituality. They're all, they're interlinked, but at the same time, it doesn't mean you just pursue one, one and you neglect the other. So that's why it's important that, even as Dr. Wafa mentioned, a number of modern day, um, sexologists and sex therapists because they come from even atheist atheist perspective or non-religious perspective they don't understand the importance of spirituality mm-hmm. or islamic um, ethics or the ruling so that's why when they're saying you can do x y and z they're just thinking about mm. the performative aspect of sex mm. rather than understanding okay. that there's certain mm-hmm. things that we need Connection. to understand from I, don't, I don't know but before dr Ofar comes in i see she's got the book open so yeah because i like i like the model uh, we do it more or less but i like the way this um her name is Gina Ogden. So I was going to say, just before I bring you in, yeah. um, I don't know if this will make sense when I say it, but hopefully you guys will understand. But I was just thinking as you were speaking that when it comes to um, sex in relationships, you know, in, even in a, in, within the confines of a halal relationship, <laughs> I still feel like there's this attitude that it's a, um, a very animalistic, lowly type thing. Unless it's for the purpose of procreation, which is like a godly act that sex is seen as like it's it's very base and it's like fulfilling your base desire just like eating in a way mm-hmm. like you know gluttony um and lust are two of the seven deadly sins i believe right and it's i think it's seen in that way and, and that there's it, it can be perceived as like an overindulgence i know this is wrong don't get me wrong but I, mm-hmm. i'm just saying i think that that's the kind of attitude that some people have towards it mm-hmm. um so that's why as i said when you talk about spirituality it kind of it, it changes the game a little bit and when, and when you mm-hmm. think about it in the context even within the book when you like when i was reading this stuff i'm like yeah, this is all in our tradition it's good it's encouraged it's positive but there isn't um that appreciation because of i guess the the erosion or even erasure from our traditions of these kind of sacred texts and mm. and writings you were going to interrupt me what were you going to say I was going to. I'm sorry. It's just because no, I'm just I, curious. It's when you use the word like the seven, 
Deadly sins. Deadly sins. Yeah. What religious tradition is that? That's Christianity. We're not Christians. Mm-hmm. I know. I, but, I, but I'm just saying. I'm I, just saying. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of when we even when we think about last week from the Christian. So lust, as in this is that this is that Western influence. Desire, it's a Western influence. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. again, to have shahwa, it's not bad in and of itself. Mm-hmm. If it's within mm-hmm. the confines of marriage, it's perfect. It's it's it's, it's not it's, only it's good. Great. It's laudable. It's a virtue. Mm. Whereas obviously, if it's exercised outside of marriage, that's, that's really, when it's... See, again, like, when so it's, that's why we have to even question ourselves and when we use it. Because when we think about lust, because you know people say lust is bad, but mm. like love is good because from a Christian perspective, you know that they believe that in heaven, there's no such thing as sexual relations. Mm. But from an Islamic mm. perspective, we will enjoy sexual relations in, in paradise. So we've got mm. a different framework of an understanding about what is sex. So even when we that's think really about sex from an Arabic perspective, and nikah, we generally think of, if you say nikah, people think of marriage. The linguistic meaning originally nikah means sexual yeah, intercourse. Yeah, yeah. So the purpose of getting married is to have sex, pleasurable sex, and I would say not for procreation purposes. Because this idea of sex being purely for procreation, again, that's from Catholicism and Christianity, which we've adopted and consider that again, the purpose of sex is to have children. And again, so that's why it's always about questioning, okay, this understanding that you've got, this Muslim understanding, is it your Muslim cultural understanding or is it an Islamic understanding mm. that comes from the sources? That's why it's just to so, kind so of So this is what I said, like this is this is the start of, of so many conversations, I think. Um, but, but anyway, Dr. Faso, but, I don't yeah. know what you're about to say. I'm, 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 I'm just, I want to say, I'm probably I'm gonna summarize what Habib said. Okay. Is, is sex is not only about performance. It's not about physical thing. Yeah. It, it, it has, this model really is very nice. It talks about mental, mental status during sex. It talks about physical, much like how you, your body, sensations and everything, and the emotional and spiritual side of it. And I like what the woman said What's here. What's the name of the book? It's called Expanding the Practice of Sex Therapy. By Gina Ogden. Yeah. And, and she talks about spirituality in a very nice, like what Habib explained. Is she said spirituality means a sense of direct personal connection with the um, divine, uh, divine, is it divine or divine? Divine, divine sorry, divine, um, as distinct from a mediated connection of divine through organized religion with its culture and tradition of rules. So as Muslim, we have certain tradition about Islam. We have culture about, um, sorry, about sex. And we have culture about sex. But actually what she's saying is sex is, is, is an, an, a, a, another connection with God. Mm. Whatever God is for us, Allah, for other people could be anything. And she, um, she talked here also about um, it, it leads to increase energy, heightened meaning, and the sense of enduring satisfaction, which it's, it's really important to feel like it gives you a sense of connection with self, sense of connection with your partner, sense of connection with pleasure, with everything. But people is, is still, people put religion and sex in separate contexts, and they, they don't mix. Yeah, and have you noticed that it's very common for people <laughs> nowadays um, People are uncomfortable with religion, but they prefer spirituality. I'm spiritual. I'm yeah. not religious. Yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah. that's it's, something it's, again, that you notice. It's that people, Because it? again, because religion, unfortunately, has a stigma, even amongst Muslims. Yeah. That they want, they want to be considered to be religious because meaning people think of religious people being harsh and, you know, just giving instructions. Whereas if you're spiritual, you're someone that has a connection. You're someone mm. that's, you know, and that's something that, again, we need to reframe because there's nothing wrong with being religious but it's people's under or misunderstanding of religion mm. the same way now with non-muslims mm. 
no one wants to mention God or Allah, but they want to say the universe. They want to say energy hmm. because that, but it's, they're speaking about the same thing. But again, it's just like maybe, I would say it's maybe it's Muslims, things. we haven't marketed the religion as well as probably we should have. <laughs> or we could, to be honest, that's what it is because yeah. we all want the same thing. But it's just um, people, again, I think if they hear certain words, I think because of their social conditioning, they'll just shut down or they, they feel like this mm. is not for me. Mm. And I just think even part of like the work that you're doing, we just need to kind of be a bit more cute in how we're kind of presenting this information. Because ultimately, what the speak um, that book is saying is not is not too dissimilar to what earlier the Muslim scholars wrote. Mm. It's not too dissimilar to what the Kama Sutra wrote, but that's coming from a Hindu perspective. Yeah. This has come from a different perspective. But again, like one of the big takeaways for me from today is that people are a lot more willing and comfortable with going outside of Muslim spaces to hear this stuff. So, so you, you're more willing to listen to, as you say, like like consulting the Kama Sutra, for example, mm. but then not actually looking at what our religion says about it. And I, I, again, I, I think because I come at it from a from a layperson perspective, I think you're that, not as lay as you think you are. I've heard you say this in a number of podcasts. I'm not that you know what you're talking no, about. So but, don't no, give but me this no, but no, I'm, I'm sat opposite from like someone who's written a book <laughs> no. that took ten years and a doctor. Like I, I can't, I don't have a voice on this, mm. but I, I, I know how people think. I, I, mm. I see society and. and I still think that there's this um, this big dis- disconnection between Islam and, and sex and sexuality, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that we need to bridge and we need to address. And 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 I guess you know t- to conclude from my side, I commend you both on the work that you do, you know, with uh, mm-hmm. couples and and relationships and whatever else, and also the the kind of education that you give to the wider community um, about this stuff. And and you know, I, I'm sure we'll put your your details below, both of you. I'm sure you'll be inundated <laughs> with 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 people you know getting in touch and whatever else, but. Um, f- thank you both. Like I, I, as I said, there's there's so much more to do on this, and we'll definitely have conversations after this podcast about how we can progress this and and do more on this. But it's I think as like an introductory conversation into this topic, it's been uh, really uh, enlightening and important, and we've we've, mm. we've covered quite a lot, although we haven't gone into a lot of depth. Mm. Um, I think it will serve for a lot of food for thought for people. Mm. Um, and I think especially, at least how, when I think about this stuff, as I mentioned, like, you know, my daughter is two and we spoke about sex education. I think that for me is one of the biggest aspects. Mm. And especially people who are listening, who are contemplating having kids, have kids already, mm. or even their kids are like their teens or whatever, being able to assess and understand often, I guess, the, the, the mistakes or, or the ways mm. that our parents did an injustice to the topic for whatever reason. And I think we should, you know, we, we, we have to and can excuse them for various uh, faults in their kind of, um, in that arena. But I think it's really important that for the next generation, we, we do a lot better by them in terms of how we discuss these topics. I guess the final thing is that if either of you have anything else you want to add. I think when you do the workshop for social media or whatever, what, yes. what do you do? For uh, parents? Yeah, talk about yeah. social media. Tell them not to of... take children in the dark and talk about it. Because <laughs> this is a very bad association. Really? Yeah, because... No, my, but as a, as a, as, as a, a question. Step. So, yeah, they will get many opportunities yeah. with their kids without waiting for that to happen. So the kid will ask questions, the kid will do something, will read something, will come across something. They have to be able to... Take the opportunity. So, so for, for full context, just because I, I think that guy did well because he's got, I think he had like three sons or something. And mm. what he was saying is that to, to initiate that conversation, that's what he did. But then slowly, 
the kids mm. became more able to talk to them. And then one of his sons later on came up to him after breakfast and on a Saturday and asked him a very direct question. Good. But, yeah. but I think, and again, this might be like our own culture, yeah. but I know in my community, mm-hmm. the, the perception of the kind of dynamic between the father and son is, is that very like, you know, the father is very stoic, mm. very, you know, the, the, the usual stereotype. And so now you've got that kind of middle generation, so like in their 40s, that have been brought up with that and are trying to change now mm. because they're seeing their kids becoming men, teenagers. Mm. And they're like, crap, I don't know how to relate to this guy. I don't know mm. how, like, he, I, I want to teach him, but all I've done is like that the toxic parenting that I received. And now how do I establish a connection? Mm. So so it, it was interesting because they were asking me, how do I, they were asking me, how do I start conversations with my kids? And I'm like, I don't know, guys. Like I, my, my daughter's two, but she yeah. barely talks. Yeah. Uh, she talks a lot actually nowadays, but it's it's not coherent. <laughs> Um, but but so then what I said to him, I was like, you guys tell each other. I don't know the answers. Mm. So, mm. you know, what do you guys do? And and it was interesting because you heard people coming up with stuff and other guys were like, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm going to try and do that mm. um, because we you know we're talking about uh, at that. We're having a conversation about sex here. But w- when we speak about communication at all levels of relationships, I think communication is a cornerstone, right? And, it is essential. It's not easy. And, and it's not easy. Um, so... Uh, on the note of communication let's definitely do more of this um mm. I, I think you know we, we've started and opened the door to uh, a conversation that does need to continue mm. um and um yeah let's let's see where it goes thank you both for your time today thank you thank, thank you, you. And, and thank you for having me and i really have the pleasure to be with habib today no thank you guys thank you So guys, um, that was the uh, podcast with Dr. Wafa and Habib. Um, As I said, like I I left that conversation with uh, almost more questions than I had when I went in at the beginning, because I think there's just, it's such an interesting area. And and for whatever reason, like we discussed, it's not really covered in our uh, our circles, not not properly. And, And I think, you know, even speaking to them afterwards, like we, we, they were very keen on 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 exploring the kind of education side of things and and how we need to really address this stuff within our communities and do it in the right way um and and uh, you know I, I think you know on one level yes platforms like the muslim vibe are the right place to have these discussions but in the right you know the right tone of conversation needs to be maintained and whatever else but uh there is a, a long way to go and i think for me it, it's especially important that we look at the kind of um future generations and, and and i think you know there is this constant battle um when it comes to mainstream uh representations of of sex and sexuality and, and as i said social media as well being a, a huge um thing in this for for young people in terms of you know social media platforms are just filled with uh in my opinion these hypersexualized content at times and especially for young people who are exploring and whatever will you know can, can very easily fall into um some of the traps that i guess were, were discussed on the podcast but yeah i, I think beyond that um understanding and appreciating and Dr. Wafa kind of spoke about some of the, the the more recurring issues that she's seen and I think I'm sure that there are people listening to this who have experienced things um, that she's discussed and might think they're the only person going through it or that you know this, they're, they're, they're an exception or whatever else but I think um, 
I find it always interesting when you speak to kind of like uh, practitioners, even doctors, for example. You know, I, I have friends who are doctors and, and you, especially GPs, and, and, and you get a sense for like what kind of things people are going in with. Um, and, and you start to understand trends. And, I, and I'm sure, you know, for, for a sex therapist like Dr. Wafa, you know, she sees the same thing over and over again. Um, but again, everyone comes at it with the same thing of like, oh, I'm the only person like this. You know, no one knows what I'm going through. But I think it's interesting as humans, we have this almost like shared uh, collective experience, but we all think that we're like individually going through things on our own. Um, but yeah, and, and, and also, you know, I, I think with, with Habib and, and, and the book, and, and I'll, I'll put the link for the book in the, in the description, um, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, but it's, you, you'll, you'll be shocked as to like how deep and wide ranging the, the kind of tradition is of, of sexuality and erotology in Islam. Um, and it's, it, it was mind blowing for me just appreciating the fact that like there is so much in our tradition, but for whatever reason, we just haven't, uh, we've, we've forgotten it. Um, and, and there was that point as well near the end where, where I mentioned the seven deadly sins and he spoke uh, he, he said that oh this is um you know from the christian tradition and and right at the beginning of the podcast he spoke about the whole western influence and i was i i i bought it like you know i i at the beginning when he said that i was like yeah okay you know it's the usual narrative but when i kind of saw it played out in my own head it just made me realize that you know we, we really need to reconnect with our um our islamic kind of tradition around this stuff and try and uh, mold and shape the way that we practice and our understanding around that as opposed to um you know what we've learned through osmosis through our society um so yeah I, as i said there's so much food for thought and i think you know this isn't the end of the conversation there will be more inshallah um you know we might set up a separate podcast specifically to talk about um these particular issues um and yeah that's that's it for another tmb podcast thank you guys for for joining us and we'll be back next week be sure to subscribe give us a if you enjoyed the podcast give us a five star rating and, and all the usual stuff um right take care guys see you next week <laughs>